Welcome to this episode of Season 4 of The Common Bridge, where policy and current events are discussed in a fiercely nonpartisan manner. The host, Richard Helpe, is a philanthropist, entrepreneur, and political analyst who has reached over 3.5 million listeners, viewers, and readers around the world. The Common Bridge is available on the Substack website and the Substack app. Just search for The Common Bridge. You can find the program on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. The Common Bridge draws guests and audiences from across the political spectrum, and we invite you to become a free or paid subscriber on your favorite medium. Hello, welcome to The Common Bridge. I'm your host, Rich Helpe, and today with us, we've got a really magnificent topic with a great guest. We're not going to be able to go as much in depth as we'd like to, but try to bring some light to some real solutions going on. We hear all the time about, let's do something. We've got issues. We have issues with education, with violence and, and other things. And so much time is spent talking about the politics, the economy. What's the federal government going to do? Today, we're going to talk about what local activists are doing in Detroit around the spiritual and material crises that are facing our country and how working together at the grassroots or the mud roots, as they like to phrase it, level, the positive differences can be made. And we've got with us today, Mr. Duan Zoe Kennedy. Mr. Kennedy, it's my honor to welcome you to the Common Bridge. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Ben. Mr. Kennedy, our audience of listeners, readers, and viewers like to know a little bit about our guests. Would you share a bit about your biography with us and kind of lead us what brought you to the Force Detroit organization? Okay. Um, come from a um, strong family to a real uh, community-oriented, family-oriented as well. Lost my way. My father um, was an intellectual corporate guy. Got overwhelmed by the drug epidemic around the age of 11. It took a stronghold of them, lost a lot. That was my best friend too. Around that time, I realized that I had to raise myself financially. Still went to him for guidance, but I had to raise myself as far as taking care of myself, as far as being a man. Not that my mother wasn't raising me. I just wanted more. Wound up in prison for manslaughter and federal sentence for conspiracy. Served 10 years in the state. Five in federal prison, got an early release. Was supposed to do eight years in federal prison. Three weeks upon my release, my brother, Omari Barksdale, introduced me to Alea Harvey Quinn at a gun violence prevention conference that she was convening. Some people broke into my car on that part of the city. I came out, I was discouraged. All these activists went in their pocket, made sure I was whole and able to get back and forth to work. I realized these were the type of people I should be around, and I was already cultivating myself in prison to be able to give back or play some type of role in combating the social ills that consume me. One of the things that compelled me to do the work is that when my father fell victim to the drug epidemic, it was a lot of men in my life. I had three brothers. I had five uncles, multiple cousins. It was in all the men I was... I wanted to be, I wanted somebody to come get me. I wanted somebody to come show me how to get what I want and be respected. Everybody, I took it personal. Nobody came, but I reflected while I was in prison and realized that everybody was busy trying to take care of themselves. And it was men in their life who couldn't be there for them. So that's what drove me to the work, the absence 
of a person like myself and always needing male guidance and it being absent. So we're going to talk about FORCE Detroit, and that is an acronym for Faithfully Organizing Resources for Community Empowerment. There's a lot of great material on their website, forcedetroit.org, and on their Facebook page. Combating the forced criminalization of a city by addressing the spiritual and material crises facing our society. Frankly, Zoe, I was moved by the dedication, and I want to share that verbatim with our audience today. It says, this is dedicated to boys who see their father's face for the first time in the penitentiary. To our girls navigating familial rape, social beration on a school-to-strip pole pipeline. We work for you. This is dedicated to the hard-kicked addictions and withdrawal symptoms of crack babies. Games of hide-and-seek played through empty syringes lining the street. This is dedicated to savage inequalities and cerebral prisons. To teens selling poison to purchase power. To our slain ones fallen because of petty neighborhood beefs memorialized in Rest in Peace t-shirts. A bullet-tattered light poles on side streets. Day-old lawn, plucked flower arrangements, and weather-worn teddy bears hanging off of them. This is dedicated to the Detroit's local youth. We work for you because we deserve a life so much more beautiful than this. And so you're leaning in based on your experiences. What kind of a role are you playing with Force Detroit? I'm playing a role as the... Director of Public Health and Safety, specifically implementation for CVI, Community Violence Intervention. There was a survey that Force Detroit did and said, what is the the reason for so much violence? And the top three things were conflict resolution or lack of conflict resolution, poverty, and the third one being drug and alcohol abuse. With your direct experience, is it always these things, mostly these things, only one of these things? What's driving this epidemic of violence? In my opinion, it's centered around the social determinants of health. There's been a lot of things or a lot of contributors to these social norms that have been created within these communities. Closing down schools, perpetual imagery of highly aggressive male highly provocative female, the lack of opportunity and the lack of public education. What I mean by public education is making sure that access to the resources are being distributed, passed out, that the people in the community are being informed about what is available for them. We have to navigate through things within these communities, in these neighborhoods, in these social constructs of what are their targets when they're dealing with us? Is it consumption? Is it that we just consume everything? What type of information is being constantly thrown at us? It's information that's not beneficial to us. And what's being, I don't want to say hidden, but if you're not familiar or you're not informed about what's available for you, how can you use it? And if you're not taught 
or educated or trained or informed on how to use it, how can you apply it? So there's circumstances and conditions that we come up in. We were just talking about this today in class. I'm in a CBI Academy right now in another city for a week. And we were just talking about how all these things have been done in society that creates this. We watched an experiment called Mouse Heaven done in the 60s. It showed how you put these mice in certain conditions and they begin to turn on each other and become violent. You limit resources and you put them in confined areas. And some of them, which they call the beautiful ones, they learn to stay out of the way. But that's just a few of them. So this, what goes on in our community as well, not saying anyone's beautiful, anyone's not beautiful, but saying that some of us have, when you have a child that goes against or disobeys, in our community, this child is reprimanded, this child suffers disciplinary action or whatever. In other communities, they see that as, oh, this child may be exhibiting leadership. They cultivate it to where it doesn't turn into aggression, to where it turns into healthy ambition. So it's a different circumstance and condition, but that's just a contributor. We can beat that. But it's the education and the tools and the things and the resources available to combat the conditions and the circumstances that either they're not available or it's barriers and boundaries to get to them and apply them, in my opinion. And this is really important that you have that real world experience. I think that's a great example. And then you ended with, in my opinion, because in reading about Force Detroit, and again, for everybody, it's forcedetroit.org, there's not a one size fits all. Not at all. The energy, there, that some of the funding comes through the federal government, through the city, but into the communities. So by way of example, some groups approach things on mentorship with paid mentors, Mm $45,000. And we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, economic results, but the general framework is participatory research, not somebody Mm -hmm. coming in from the outside, but people that are there, narrative building, telling Mm -hmm. better stories. So this is a talent you've got. And then youth and millennial organizing. What's your approach? How are you working toward a better tomorrow? So in life, you got to understand the approach is intervention, intervening, but it should be prevention. But in order for it to be prevention, we have to push towards the social determinants of health, stopping the root cause, right? Mentorship deals with intervention. You come in and you start teaching, but it's still things set in place to create this behavioral pattern. Not this person. I would call that a behavioral pattern because you can get rid of it quicker than you can get rid of a person. The mentorship is a necessary tool, and we have to use that as a primary strategy because the ecosystem isn't set up to where it's impactful to combat what society has done. I understand. So by way of example, one of the three biggest root causes of violence, it's poverty. Poverty leaves someone feeling hopeless. They're going to compete for resources. And of all the new jobs coming into Detroit, 55% of people living in the city don't qualify Mm -hmm. for two-thirds of the jobs that are available. Mm -hmm. There's got to be an education or an internship leg to get people to those jobs mm-hmm. so that the, the poverty cycle can be broken 
mm-hmm. which then might allow you to mentor somebody to make better choices than a violent act. Mm-hmm. Is that near what you're thinking? Yeah, it's not just poverty. Look at decline in society. Look mm-hmm. at the immediate gratification. Yes. Here we have a society. Everything's changing. Technology, the cars, the way architecture is built. Everything's changing. But the educational system is not changing in alignment with a productive citizen when it comes to the world. Everything is driving a person to be reactionary, outside stimulation. From K through 12, we have physical education. And we're living in a world where it's so important for emotional education to be from K through 12 because of the decision making and what's happening to us as human beings. We went two years, and I would say three, in a pandemic, something that changed human behavior across the planet. Nothing in education has changed to address that. We live in a country where they said they bought all of the bullets. They gave out money. People purchased guns. In turn, people stole guns from individuals who purchased guns. So you have things going on in society, factors that are not being, I don't want to say they're not being addressed or considered. I mean, they're not, I don't want to say that they're not being considered, but the response to them is not sufficient. And I want to end with this. You have a shooting to respond to a shooting cost minimum $600,000. Somebody gets shot. Now, if you pay one person, this is an extreme, you pay one person $1 million. And if he stopped two to three murders, you got your money back. The investment in harm and violence is far greater than the investment in combating it. One of the things I want to direct my listeners, my readers, and my viewers to is to look up Force Detroit because they've got actually the homicide costs broken down. Elements that are in the crime scene, the hospital, the incarceration, the victim support, the lost revenue, $1.6 million per homicide shooting. That's if there's one suspect, $3 million if there's two. And then the injury at the crime scene, the hospital, the criminal justice, incarceration, the victim support, lost revenue, $1.1 million per shooting, $2 million if there's two suspects. So the cost to society, it is economic, but the examples that it sets. And then I think as you're touching on this point, if there's an underlying hopelessness, that there's no way to escape this, that you don't have any tools to mentor somebody. You have to be able to show them, here's an educational path, an employment path to a better future. Yes. And they describe you as a credible messenger. I love that term. Can you tell our audience, what exactly is that? And how do you fulfill that role? A credible messenger is a term used to describe a person that has lived experience, but it suggests that this person is credible because this person has been through the lifestyle. I define credible messenger, not just as myself, but a credible messenger is a person who has proven to care about their fellow uh, human being. That's what makes you credible to me. But the definition of the credible messenger is a person with lived experience who went through the lifestyle. This gives them credibility and relevance to somebody. But anybody, to me, the way that term is used and defined, it could be misleading at times and it could deter a person who does have the skill set and the ability to be empathetic and have their truth resonate with a young man or a young lady in the streets. But 
I've invested heavy in learning when it comes to the social ills and the things that I went through. I reflected on them and I invested heavy in coming up with strategies, mythologies and approaches to combat that. And I'm not arrogant to think that this will save everyone. It has to be resistance to this behavior. It has to be resistance towards genocide. It has to be resistance towards self-destruction. I believe that the resistance towards that, that is empathetic, creates the uh, credibility. But the fact that I understand what they're going through and the fact that I could like show them like, man, I done been through that and that it's possible to overcome that. That's what make one credible. But I would say that one is credible as well if one has came up in the same circumstances or been faced with the same challenges and never went to prison, never got shot, never shot anyone. They're just as credible to me, in my opinion. I like it a lot because you're talking about decision-making, the consequences of decision-making. Consequential thinking is very, very, very important. It's something I lead with. And you would have that credibility. And I'm trying to imagine a, nothing against the UP, but, you know, a social worker trained at, uh, I don't know, Northern Michigan coming down and trying to walk the streets of Detroit. You got to think, this one thing I think beautiful, the so-called criminal mind is so beautiful if it's cultivated properly. I'm not talking about the wicked mind. I'm talking about the mind that will say the rules are not fair. I'm going to make my own rules. This is the mind of a revolutionary. This is the mind of the people who founded this country, right? They were criminals. They were criminals. They went against the law. But when a criminal mindset, and I'm only calling it criminal to make a point, when it infringes on the people, not the system, on the people, that's when it becomes wicked. So it was a crime for me to read. <laughs> it was a crime for us to read at one point in time. It was a crime for me to travel, to like walk around. It was a crime. That was a crime. When I read about the Force Detroit, the thoroughness of what they talked about. So one of the things about success, to protect victims and the vulnerable, to let the people that might be affected otherwise prove to themselves they've transitioned from a high-violence lifestyle, to realize a faith-based mission, that there's something greater than us, to offer opportunities to, for transformation to those who need it, and you're obviously paving the way there, and to facilitate their belief in culturally relevant community-based leadership. And I agree with you that when there's injustice, there has to be change. Mm -hmm. And Force Detroit has made change in some of the other success stories, stopping a serial rapist, you know, standing between police and protesters in the summer of 2020, defending a pride parade from neo-Nazis. Anybody that doesn't know Detroit, like I would never count our city out uh, remember, we used to have Devil's Nights fires and yeah, gunshots. I remember Devil's Night. Like, we used to have to ride around with the lights, and community would go to a church, they'd pass the lights out, and everybody in the community would ride around and make sure people didn't burn down homes. Are you involved at all with this Operation Ceasefire? Operation Ceasefire, uh, those are my brothers in the field. Yes, we will coordinate certain things with them. What I mean by coordinate, if law enforcement, I'm going to give you an example. Young men in my neighborhood got shot in the back of the head, murdered on a, uh, I believe it was a Sunday or a Saturday. I'm asleep. Remember a ceasefire caused me because we are servicing a particular or focused 
on service in a particular area. Now, I'm sleep. Ceasefire works in close proximity to law enforcement. We don't work so close with law enforcement. The administrative staff of law enforcement, we do communicate with them in a sense of like politics, I would say. Not that we're politicians, but this is government and we are advocating for change. So remember ceasefire calls? This young man was shot in, in the back of the head. we in your neighborhood. I'm on my way over there. Pull up. I said, wait before I get out, because if I'm pulling up to the scene where police is at and I don't know the people, I don't know every individual in a four mile radius. You know, (laughs) some people would try and act like they do, but I don't. So I pull up. I see like I don't know nobody out here. I go back, sit in my car. I get the nickname. I ask the ceasefire, like, y'all got his nickname? Because they are in so close proximity to law enforcement. Law enforcement giving them details before they give us details, before they give us details, if they even give us details. He tell me the nickname. I call one of my uh, one of my mentees, young men. Uh, you know him. He tell me, yeah, that's such and such. Okay, now I can get out because he's part of our social network. Or his friends are a part of our social network. So now if I'm questioning or like, what? This is why I was here because such and such. I'm cool with this person who knows this person. Come to find out, I actually know the brother or the brother knows the work and I see the brother out there crying. I made sure I didn't step on the toes of ceasefire, told him we're going to offer secondary victim service support. If the family needs to be relocated, I'll go get the hotel. Y'all could transport them. The hotel will be waiting. But yes, any brother that's out in the field, sister that's out in the field trying to save life, We're going to coordinate if they want to coordinate. We won't compromise our relationships with community when it comes to law enforcement, as we wouldn't want law enforcement to compromise any investigations when it comes to us. So we have to keep some type of distance between the things that we do. And when it comes to ceasefire, we're able to coordinate that kind of effective. But in short, I had to give you context to, yes, we deal with our brothers. They're in the field. They're trying to make a difference. We don't have the same approach, but that doesn't mean our our approaches should be in opposition to one another. And I don't lead with that. We're not competing to save souls. So so much to talk about. And and, uh, I hope maybe we can come back and do a broader topic. But one of the questions is this, when you think about violence, and senseless loss of life. Mm-hmm. Is it the guns? Is it the culture? Is it something else? I mean, if you <laughs> pulled every firearm out of there, what would be left? Oh, you would put every firearm out there, there'd probably be some knives left, but you can't do a mass stabbing. You know, you can't you can't you can't do with a knife what you can do with a gun. So um I don't know like guns, that's part of the makeup of this country. So that's an uphill battle. Our history That's part of the makeup of this country. So I think it's education. What I really want to drive home is education on how we think emotionally in the decision making. What are we being taught? We're being taught math science, and I'm not knocking at math science. At this point, somebody needs to take this serious and say, okay, we need to teach our citizens how to deal with their emotional body. Early on, like certain things we shouldn't be watching, like I don't want to say certain things we shouldn't be watching, but you have things that's going on that's being promoted. If I go on social media and I say something about a particular group of people or an ideology or a way of life or a preference, I'm going to be removed. But we can talk about murdering each other. If a woman go on 
these platforms and show themselves, show their breasts, they will be removed. It's flat. Our children show guns, they not removed. It's flat. It's not flat. Our behavior is not healthy. Take the take it. Take the account like you take the account for everything else. If you can catch a quote at some point, the people who manage on these platforms have to take, and I'm saying take, I'm not saying be held. But if it get to that point, that need to happen as well. But extending the opportunity, take accountability for what you have created and what type of impact it's having on humanity. I agree with you more than 100% because one of the things when you turn on a television, a movie, people are pulling out guns for no reason. And they don't show the horrors of a gunshot wound. They don't show what happens to the family after that. Five years later, they're remembering the birthday of that person. They got to, why was that person shot? Uh, Well, the guy that shot him didn't like what he said. And young men, particularly young men of color, are impacted by gun violence and mass incarceration. If you go back just 35 years, which wasn't that long ago, 13 times more black children have been killed than the total number of black people lynched in the 86 years between 1882 and 1968. Right, right. There's appropriate place for a firearm, but there's so many inappropriate places. And it sounds to me like you're getting in between there and say, wait a minute, what happens to you if you pull that trigger? It's, mm-hmm. it's not ending there like at the end of the TV program. Yeah. It ain't even that I know you angry. It's why are you angry? Why? Why can't you deal with another person's opinion, another person's behavior? Why do you go to an extreme? And you go to an extreme because you have been taught to go to an extreme. You haven't been taught or given the tools. The tools you've been given is cartoons, Somebody do something, you beat them up. The hero. From a child early on, Bugs, Bunny, or whatever they watching, something happened, punch. The movies, even the heroes, John Wick, the dog get killed, go kill a million people behind the dog getting killed. You're taught to do this. Then you turn around and you look at a particular group of human beings and you look at the media is the most effective form of education possible. Imitation is the like seeing, kinesthetic learning, doing it yourself. And when you look at something visual, you learn by observation and then you start trying things yourself. You imitate things. This is what we do as human beings. This is why we're wearing glasses. This is why we're wearing shirts. This is why we got pictures on our walls. We imitators. So now it turns into what, how much... And they know this in psychology because they do it in commercials. They keep showing fries. They keep showing drinks. They know what colors. So now, what imagery am I being seen? This is what a man does. This is what a black man does. This is what a black man, this is black culture. This is how black people talk. This is how black people act. This is this type of black person. This is this type of black. Now it turns into what does any gender do naturally? They want to be either feminine or masculine. 
Now, what happens when you do, when you have an unhealthy interpretation of masculinity, when masculinity is defined as hyperaggression, when masculinity is not defined by how it was in certain periods of time and with certain ethnicities, can you take care of your family? I had a friend of mine that was the, he was like the hostage negotiator and the you know, SWAT team guy for the state police. He's long since retired, but he, he would be like if there was a barricaded gunman, he had to go out there and secure the perimeter and get the guy on the phone. And I asked him, I said, well, what makes a person do that hole up inside a house? I mean, it's not going to end well, right? He says to me, his exact words, he goes, it's usually a sex thing. It's either, you know, his woman wants to leave him or he thinks she wants to leave or she thinks there's another dude. So he gets himself armed up and barricades himself. And somebody didn't teach him that you might have that love and that attention of that woman, but that's her choice. Yeah. If he chooses not to, to do that, that's no reason to go crazy like that. That's like right in his act. We all have an emotion, but how have we been taught to deal with it now? Beyond how have we been taught to deal with it? What have we put in practice to become a habit? What have we put in practice? So me as a young man, compassionate, never wanted to hurt anybody. I was the type that wouldn't hit a person because I would be worried about their feelings. Like I had compassion. I was empathetic. I was an empathetic child. And I remember just getting uh, not bully, bully. Like a person probably didn't think they was bullying me, but humiliation is like being bullied. And I'm the youngest, so I come up with a lot of, I come up everybody older. Now I'm getting bullied in the household for sure because all my brothers and sisters are older, but you learn to swing first because you don't want to become a victim. You see something happen to somebody. When you see victim, that's another thing that we don't talk about. When you constantly see victimization, when you constantly see that, it does something to your mind. Anybody's going to protect themselves. This is why people had a right to bear arms. When you 13, 14, or 12, and you seeing your friends getting shot, you're not an adult, which an adult would say, I'm going to get a weapon. I got the right to bear arms and protect me and my family. Now they thinking that as an adult. If you seeing stuff at a child, as a child, you 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 looking at like man. And I explained this when we was having a conversation about uh just my lifestyle, me being mischievous and going down the wrong path. What I like about this, Zoe, is what the work you're doing can literally change the world one person, one block at a time. And you're addressing the spiritual and material crises. And when I'm reading, this is from the Faith in Action page. The struggle over the direction of the country is not just about economics or politics. It's a spiritual struggle about who we are and how we are connected, and that individuals that Faith in Actions wants them to be able to say, as a result of my participation, my life is better, and I see the world and myself differently. And when I talk to men like you, I get hope. And I'm Mm -hmm. a perpetually optimistic person. And as we we are at the end of our, our time that we've got today, any final thoughts for the listeners, readers, and viewers of The Common Bridge? I know you're going to make a profound impact on them. I hope they all go to forcedetroit.org. But with the last words, Mr. Zoe Kennedy. We are human beings, beautiful creation, so beautiful. I don't think that we take the time out 
to look at ourselves as that and to see that we are all one. My mother, I watched my mother and my grandmother just take care of people, take take care of people, take care of people. And it's biblical. They talk about uh, love God with all thy mind, uh, with, with thy heart, uh, soul, and mind, and love thy brother as you love yourself. Empathy is one of the most powerful things on this planet. This will stop you. You can look at a person, he or she having a bad day, even when they want to hurt you. They might hurt me. Let me get away from them because I don't want to harm them. I want to end with this. It's important for people to realize that you have to see yourself and others. It's important to realize that because you want others to see that in you. You want to be treated right. Everybody want to be treated right. So you have to see yourself in others or find some part of yourself in others. That's all I would say. I wouldn't want to say, like, just try to be profound. I want to be direct and give direct, not opinion, but advice. See yourself in others and have love for yourself. Because if you don't love yourself, there's no way you can love others because you got to see yourself. It would never be healthy. You will become a slave to others and you will get abused by others. But love yourself and see yourself in others. That's it, brother. More powerful words were never spoken. Love is the only thing taken to its ultimate conclusion that conquers. Love does conquer all. With our special guest, Mr. Zoe Kennedy from Force Detroit, helping make this a better society helping grow better people. Godspeed to you, Mr. Kennedy. Thank you for being on the show today. Thank you. And this is Rich Halpy, your host, signing off on The Common Bridge. Thanks for joining us on The Common Bridge. Subscribe to The Common Bridge on Substack.com or use their Substack app where you can find more interviews, columns, videos, and nonpartisan discussions of the day. Just search for The Common Bridge. You can also find The Common Bridge on Mission Control Radio on your Radio Garden app.